definitely I feel like patience is the biggest thing because nobody's gonna learn off the first try. Nobody's typically gonna have everything down by the second. But that's the biggest thing that I've learned, you know, as an associate, as an intern, and as a, a mentee. Welcome back to That Vet Life. In this week's episode, I am joined by Dr. Greg Eccles. Though you're probably more familiar with his social media handle, Dr. underscore Eccles on Instagram and TikTok. In his videos, he injects comedy into the day-to-day aspects of veterinary medicine. From handling fractious cats to workplace drama, each video is sure to leave you laughing. In this episode, we focus on Greg's journey through veterinary medicine and the mentors he has met along the way that have inspired, encouraged, and challenged him. We talk about the important questions students should ask potential mentors and the different types of mentors you may meet along your way in your veterinary journey. It was an absolute joy talking with Greg, and honestly, we couldn't stop laughing halfway through. So let's jump into today's episode. Starting us off, I have been super excited. I've been looking forward to this conversation just because I've seen who you are on Instagram and through your TikToks. And I'm like, is this really Dr. Eccles? Is this really Greg? Is this who he is in real life? And so what would you say? Would you consider yourself to have that type of personality in your day to day? Yes, I'm definitely, I can say day to day. I'm more of an introvert that goes on really? as an individual. Me. I mean, my, my videos, yeah, my videos portray me more so to be like an extrovert <laughs> at times. So I'm more of a happy medium, but more so in, on the introvert level. But definitely, the humor is always there. Um, I try to find a way each day to make somebody laugh because if somebody's laughing, I'm gonna laugh. I find a try try to find a way to make things you know more fun, beneficial at work too as well. Also, so yeah, I can definitely say I'm definitely the same person in my videos. <laughs> um, it's just more so you could probably say I'm a little bit more on the shyer side in public uh, when I'm in with groups of people until I get warmed up with individuals overall. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's awesome just to hear like who a person is. Like to hear someone who's seriously genuine about who they are online and also just in real life. And I'm thinking about your technicians and your assistants who you tell their story of it on social media. I'm like, oh my goodness, the, yes. like the things that they put up with, they must have like a love-hate relationship yeah. with it all. Cause they're like, this guy is fantastic. He keeps yeah. us laughing, but some days, oh my gosh, I can assume that like, that's the conversation that goes yeah. on in their head. <laughs> so, yeah, we definitely have that a lot. Whenever we, I come to work some days, especially my surgery day. So like there's always, I just basically take like a lot of the week that has occurred and make it into a TikTok what's going on. And so when I get to work the next day, if anybody's working, they're like, I know who this was about. I know this was about me. I know this was about me. <laughs> it's just a bunch of laughter that goes on. And I just try to play it off like, oh, I wasn't talking about you or anyway. No, like definitely that. not. It, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that sounds like so much fun. So, and and who you are today as a veterinarian, like, is that who you were about 10 years ago before the start of the veterinary education journey? Or I guess like the big question is, who was Greg 10 years ago? So I did a lot when I was growing up. I've always worked throughout school as well as, well, mainly through school. But back in the day, uh, once I graduated high school, I did teach hip hop um, dance for at least two years. So the theater arts teacher 
that I was at school for because I took theater. I didn't take dance in school. And so she had her own dance studio that she ran and she wanted me to teach hip hop after I had finished and graduated. So I did that for like two years while I was getting my associate's degree in animal care management technology. And so I did that. Also worked in fast food for most of my life when I was young. So worked at Popeye's Chicken, worked at Jersey Mike's. Uh, also, I'm also worked at Target, which me personally, I will never do retail ever again, <laughs> ever in my life. When I, I was can't younger. imagine why. Uh, I will see how- <laughs> yes, yes, so much. But those were the jobs that I held, you know, before I even got into the veterinary industry overall. And then when I was an undergrad is when, um, well, not undergrad, when I was in high school, one of my guidance counselors, she basically asked us, you know, you know, you go in there like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you ha- all have that discussion. And I was like, I can see myself like I really love animals, uh, really can see myself being a vet assistant. And I had just left it at that. That's That was it at that point. She was like, well, why would you want to stop there? Why wouldn't you just want to be the veterinarian? And then it was just like this long pause because <laughs> I was like, I was already set. This is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. And then I was like, oh, well, you know, I never thought about that. Like, why would I not want to be the veterinarian? Why would I just want to be the assistant? And so it was a long process. You know, I went through my associate's degree just to see if this is something that I actually would really want to do. There were a lot of hindrances with, you know, me personally, I just wanted to work with dogs and cats. And then when you get in your associate's degree, they're like, oh, well, you're going to be working with rats. You're going to be working with mice. You're going to be working with snakes. Uh, we had an iguana in the room. And I was like, I definitely do not want to touch any <laughs> So I kind of got worried. And I was like, you know, this may not be the path that I, <laughs> that I really want to partake. But definitely learned a lot when I was in there and I still stuck with it overall. Mm-hmm. I'm As I was listening to you tell your story, like where you started, the communication side of veterinary medicine, like, it, like we always think about, oh, when did I first say, oh, I like animals. That's why I wanted to become a vet. But the bigger part that I feel we miss out on is talking about like, who were we outside of veterinary medicine and our interest in dogs and cats. And for you, like you're an, a dance instructor, like hip hop, like I had no idea. That's <laughs> yeah. awesome. I have about the yeah. coordination of a yeah. duck. So <laughs> dancing does not happen. That's why I don't really dance on my Instagram. But the, the <laughs> theater, like I was a theater nerd. Uh, but for you also, yeah. you did a ton of uh, like, people service type of jobs. So talking with difficult people, learning those type of skills that you had to learn on the fly. And as a result, fully understand why you don't want to go into retail, like who would want to the way that they're treated. (laughs) But who you are as a result of those interactions makes you an incredible veterinarian in ways that vet school can't even like begin to imagine teaching. So I just wanted to pull that yes. out of your story and highlight that for the listeners just to be like, <laughs> hey, if you are thinking about going into vet school and you're like, I'm a high schooler, I don't know what I need to do. Get people skills, yeah. get communication skills, like exactly. work on that side of it. Do things that are outside of the immediate veterinary medicine bubble because it will a make you a better veterinarian and give you more work-life um, like enjoyment and satisfaction and all. So I just wanted to like, point that on, but I want to go back to your story. So you had a a high school guidance counselor who kind of brought up the question of why not be the veterinarian, which I feel like there's a whole other discussion to be like, 
some people will say, oh, be the veterinarian as if the other ones aren't valuable. But that's a different conversation. So for you, you had you had a guidance counselor, you had a mentor in a way that said, put this question in your mind. So what happened after you Mm -hmm. thought about that question? Yeah, once I thought about it, and there was that long drum, it was like a really long pause, because I was like thinking, you know, I already made up my mind, this is what I want to do. I just want to be the vet assistant. I don't want to be making recommendations. I just want to play with pets. In my mind, I was thinking I was going to be playing with pets the whole time. Um, So definitely it took a long, drawn-out process because I I did not go straight into my associate's degree once I graduated high school. I took a year off just to, you know, recollect, re-get myself together before I went to school to know, hey, this is money that I'm putting forth. You know, I don't have to be all in it or not all in it, you know, on that aspect. So definitely took me a good year before I decided that this was what I really wanted to try to pursue and go forth with that dream. And since then, like once I started my associate's degree, it has been something that, you know, I stuck with the whole time. Even all my friends, I can say in high school, I'm probably one out of like 15 or 20 that I was really close with that stuck with their career throughout this whole time frame. Most of my friends have switched careers like three or four times with what they had planned to do after high school. So I'm glad they have the, you know, time and the patience to do that. But definitely, you know, we still keep in touch and see, you know, what everybody's doing. But I felt like at that moment, you know, once I made that decision that year, you know, it was something I felt like, it was something that I was going to continue to pursue. You know, I always push myself outside of, you know, different goals in the field just to see, you know, is this something that I could see myself doing also as well, which always led me back to, hey, I see myself only working with cats and dogs, not large animal at all. (laughs) Um, But definitely there's that spark after that year after high school was what really drove me and kept me focused that this is what I really wanted to do. I just love hearing people's stories and how they developed from the high school level to going through their associates and what drove them. Because like you said, you had friends that they switched careers, but the entire time for you, you were like, this is what I want to do. This is the direction I'm going to go. So it takes a lot of individual, ah, I'm looking for the word, but like, I want to use the word gumption, but at the same time, just... um, you're going after what you want. And it takes a lot to do that and to not follow what everyone else is doing, which tells that you had a lot of passion for this profession from the animal side, but also because of your previous experiences, like you have the client interaction side, like I can tell that you enjoy at least that part of it a bit. And we can also see that through your social Mm -hmm. media. And from there, so you did your associates, and now we're circling around to going into vet school. So you went to the Virginia, Maryland uh, Veterinary School. Was that like the main school that you're like, this is as part of your focus plan? Was that the main school you were looking at, or how did you end up there? Yeah. So after my associates, I went to undergrad to get my bachelor's, went to North Carolina AT State University, and took lab animal science versus the complete animal science. So I only wanted to work with the small animals, lab animals. I did not want to do any large animal at all. No large animal, no snakes. um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I was there for right at three years. It would have been shorter, but I was starting to take classes 
that were in the large animal curriculum that I should not have been in. And my advisor didn't let me know about that. So I wasted a whole semester. <laughs> and oh, then no. the classes I needed to take was not until the following year. So yeah, it took me three years instead of two and a half to get done due to my prereqs. So once I graduated there, I applied that year to that school, but I had to wait the following year to reapply because my MEMCAS application was denied because my transcripts from a, my community college never sent them. No. Oh my gosh. Mem- I've heard so no. many people have the similar story. <laughs> It is the most frustrating thing. Yes. You spend so much money on Vimcast yes. and you were literally like waiting yes. on bated breath to be like my transcripts. I paid the money to send my transcripts and you're just yes. like going to pass out from yes. the the panic. I literally, mine were like in the mail. Vimcast was closing huh. on or whatever day it was. Mine arrived within 24 hours of when Vimcast closed. I nearly had heart palpitations and like passed out on the floor. <laughs> and then I got the email. They're like, oh they God. arrived. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't <laughs> believe that actually happened. So I fully understand oh. the, the the trouble there. But I am so sorry that that happened to you. Oh, I can't imagine what you went through. That, yes. that I, I like I can get yeah, the anxiety was, back in my heart just thinking upset. about it. Oh my yeah, gosh. I was very upset. But so... At that time, I was working at a place called Alamance Veterinary Hospital, and I was a vet assistant during that time. So I had made arrangements to where I was under the impression I was going to be going to vet school. But then once I found that out with Vimcast, um, I stayed on with them for an additional year until I had reapplied. Mm-hmm. So the places I applied to were during that for both times <laughs> were North Carolina, NC State University. Virginia, Maryland, and then University of Georgia. And so applied to all three of those. I got waitlisted at NC State, uh, which is my in-state school. So financially, um, that would have been like the best at, one. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I was waitlisted at Virginia, Maryland for an interview because NC State doesn't do interviews, but Virginia, Maryland does interviews. And then I was accepted off the bat to University of Georgia. So... I was like, Georgia's going to be the last resort. You know, I don't really want to move all the way out to Georgia unless I have to, but at least I know I'm going to vet school overall. So it was, I think it was in, after in January, it was like right before my birthday occurred, Virginia, Maryland contacted me and told me that I had got a place for an interview so I could come down for an interview, but the interview was like that weekend. So I was like, okay, I will take it. I don't care. So yeah, I was like, I'll take it. I'm happy. So I went and did the interview and they do the, they're called um, MMIs, multiple mini interviews. Yeah, and they're so stressful. 10, I think it's, yeah, it is. Because there's nothing you can really prepare for. No, oh my gosh. Edinburgh did the same thing. I was sweating. Yeah, and you just go through these different rooms with different scenarios. And it's like, you just speak your mind with the scenario and it's just this awkward silence. If you finish late, you still have to sit there and wait. So yes. you're like, oh, did I do good? Did I do bad? And, and you like walk out answers, of the room so. and you're like, I don't even know what I just said. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm like, what is going on? But did that one. And then I was still on the wait list at NC state. So finally in February around Valentine's day, I got the acceptance that I was accepted to Virginia, Maryland. So I was like, oh, well, at least I have two schools that I get to pick from. So at least I know I'm still going to that school. 
but I was still on the wait list at state. And state, they tell you, hey, you're on the wait list, but they never gave me a rank where I'm at on the wait list to determine, you know, what my next move should be. So I waited until like the week before I had to let Virginia, Maryland know that I'm going to take their seat. Otherwise, they would give it to somebody else. And I still hadn't heard anything from state. So I just went ahead and took the seat at Virginia, Maryland. I'm like, you know, it's, it's a two and a half hour drive. You know, I can deal with that versus going on five hours to Georgia. It would be great if I could just live in the same state like at just an hour from my house. But I guess it all worked out for the good anyways. But And I still never heard anything back from NC State after I accepted my yes. Well, they never even after told you in the end? Was, no, I never heard anything. So oh I was like, gosh. well, I'm glad I did let them know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. That yeah. is, that's like a whirlwind to be <laughs> trying to figure out where you want to go, but I'm so glad you ended up where you did. And it sounds like it was a great experience yeah. for you. And I have a few students that I know that are currently there. And when your name comes up, they're mm-hmm. like, oh, yes. And I'm like, okay, he left, he left a good mark at the school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, my class, we, we were the first ones to start their new curriculum. So, cause in the old curriculum, it was more subject-based mm-hmm. where you learn immunology, you learn virology, you learn bacteriology, where ours was more integrative. So you really focus on body system. Mm-hmm. So you may be learning about the heart and then all of your courses just pertain to the heart. Your exam only pertains to the heart and your anatomy is only about the heart, which helped reflect and retain a whole lot more information where you're not everywhere when um, in each different subject. So I definitely retained a whole lot during that. And it definitely helped me in clinics too, as well. A lot is very repetitive each course you go to because you were like, oh, I already learned this. But that helped me out a lot to remember like, hey, if I did forget something, it's reprogramming that back in my memory later down the road. But I really liked it. It was stressful for us. They gave us a lot of leeway because they were learning as we were still trying to yeah. learn too. You guys were the guinea um, pig class. So Yes, but it was great. It was a great experience. Now, just before we get on with the show, a quick word from our sponsor, which is the Thrive community from us here at VEDEX. If you're struggling with managing time, feeling like you're an imposter or burning out, then you need to make a change. The good news is you are not broken. You're not a bad fit for the profession much more likely you are missing some super important foundational skills no one is teaching at university. Skills that you will learn as part of our Vetex community. The Thrive Community is a race-accredited professional skills course where members receive training, toolkits, and one-to-one coaching to develop these skills. So join hundreds of other vets who've changed their careers for the better as a Thrive member. To learn more and find out if the class is a good fit for you, Visit vetexinternational.com today. Now back to the show. So I hope you enjoyed part one. Now we're going to get back to part two of that Vet Life podcast. Over to you, Mo. And so looking at your four years down at Virginia, Maryland, and now, so basically you did the four years there and then you went into an internship. And so I feel that is where in those last, I guess for us, since we're we're getting close to that three year, well, start of the third year of our our 
practice life. But in the last mm-hmm. four-ish years is when the mentorship has really kicked into a high gear because um, you're transitioning from being a clinical student into going into the internship. So let's focus a little bit more on the like the clinical mentors and the peer mentors that you had. So in your in school, your peer mentors are your friends, your classmates, and then you have your clinical mentors who are the uh, clinicians that are actually teaching you. And did you have any that you like aligned with really well? And you're like, you, you're the person that I'm going to try and learn as much from, or was that more in your internship that you found that? I found it more in my internship, but there definitely were clinical clinicians that definitely I went to, to gain as much guidance as possible, whether it was, you know, pertaining to the subject that they were more proficient in, or, you know, just recommendations on, you know, how to just be a great veterinarian out in practice, you know, for them. So two professors, one of them was um, my actual mentor in school for academia purposes overall, um, just because I struggled a lot. And with the new curriculum after year two, just because a lot of it, even though it was integrative, like some of the subjects were very, they were rough for the old curriculum. And then they combined some of those subjects together which made that even more tough. And, you know, just trying to figure out ways to, you know, I felt like I was studying way more than any of my classmates and still it did not show anything on my exams at all. How bad I was staying up at like at night throughout the day, studying like eight to 10 hours a day on my days out of school. So they definitely would help. And I could go in and talk to them about things, you know, if it's you know, stress that I'm dealing with, if it's burnout that I'm dealing with, you know, just ways of coping, you know, through that school, which I felt like it's something you definitely need to be aware of while you're in vet school, because when you get out of vet school and if you don't have great mentorship, it's something that's going to definitely have a toll on you. So um, I definitely have one professor that, you know, I definitely felt comfortable, you know, talking to and, you know, venting about things like that. And then there's another professor I still keep in contact with as, you know, like my mentor outside of that school, you know, just letting them, he's always checking in on me, making sure I see how things are going, still checking to make sure I'm still going to Durham residency. (laughs) Um, So we have a great relationship and, you know, we still keep in touch. And if it's things that, you know, I'm still uncertain about other you know, differentials that could be going on. I'll, you know, text him and see, you know, if he thinks anything else I should be worried about. So it's definitely, you always have those that you definitely want to try to make as many connections with as you can in that school, because definitely when it's time for job references, those are going to be the ones that are going to know the most about you and give you the best recommendations for you. Mm-hmm. And then during my internship, we definitely at the clinic that I work at, they don't assign you a mentor is basically who you think you would fit best with. So we all had the chance to, my intern class and the ones before that, we all have the chance to work appointments. They'll schedule us with a certain clinician each day to do appointments with. And just to see how, you know, they interact with clients on surgery days, how they do surgeries, on emergency days, which were my most stressful days, how those are handled and managed on that side of town. And it gives you a fit of like, hey, you know, seeing how they talk, you know, I don't know, or they may be a great fit for me. Am I one that's a little bit more, I like, you know, personal recognition, you know, away from everybody, or do I like personal praise in front of everybody? You know, if I did something wrong, am I more of a person that, you know, wants to be told, you know, outside of the group, or do I not care? You just let everybody know. So me, I'm more of the 
let me know what's going on. Don't beat around the bush. I just really want to know, you know, if there's something I did, just tell me so I can fix it. And so there's one clinician there that's definitely doesn't beat around the bush. She just tells it how it is and just lets you know, you know, if you did something wrong. And that's who my mentor is. So <laughs> she's from New York. So she has really no filter at all, but uh, I love her to death. So she basically helps me, like she helps God, even to this day, even being two years out. The other day I was doing a surgery on a mass removal and my wound edges like were starting to come together, but then you could tell like, my skin just didn't want to oppose in the middle and it was mm-hmm. somewhat still sticking up from my intradermal. She was like, she just came over. She was like, you know, if you do this, you know, go a little bit outside the skin, but come through the skin and do the same thing on the other side then pull. That's going to bring your edges back together pretty close. And I was like, oh, well, you know, thanks for coming over here telling me that because, you know, I would have had to make a whole new, you know, yeah. um, pair of skin sutures in order to make the skin close pretty appropriately. You know, she just, she comes out you know, her last appointment to just come over and help me with something she sees, you know, that her mentee may be a little bit struggling with, and then just takes the time out, you know, of her busy day to just help out, which I find very appreciative. So we definitely have a lot of great mentorship there. It just really depends on, you know, how you really like to take your personal recognition or not Mm -hmm. uh, with who you're going to be most compatible with overall. I think there's some really important things to pull out of those different scenarios. So looking back through your veterinary mentorship experience. So yes, you have the clinicians that they're kind of maybe more more of an assigned mentor. They just give you advice on things you're going through in your clinical studies. But the really important one is the person that you just like they ended up as a mentor for you and they're still connected to you. You still reach out to them. You're able to talk about life things. So I guess I would call them the life mentor. And so many students, they always ask like, how do I find that? How do I find that kind of mentor? And most of the time it just happens, I feel. And and in your case, was that the, the scenario? It wasn't really like you went to them and were like, can you be my mentor? It was just a relationship that developed because you were continually reaching out to each other. Right. Yes. Yeah. I sat in the front of the class. So the one that, that's more so the one that helps and guides me, you know, still throughout this day, he's a clinical pathologist. So I don't really care for really clinical pathology that much. Well, not clinical, anatomical pathology. I love clinical pathology, but not that much anatomical. Yeah. But he always cracked jokes and I was the one he always called on in class. So we always developed a great relationship, you know, always being in class and everything. And, you know, I'm a person, if I look for people who have great personality, likes to laugh you know, cracks jokes. I'm not worried if you're serious or not, or if you're making a joke and I'm kind of on the edge, are you joking or are you not joking? <laughs> so um, we just had always a great relationship during class time and he just made a great benefit in my life. Those are the things that make my heart swell because I'm like, yes, those are the kind of mentors that we need because like it helped you <laughs> become the veterinarian that you are. And now you're able to look back and say, you know, I kind of want to do that for someone else. But before we, we talk about that little nugget, I also want to touch on from your internship experience, how you went about finding this mentor for you and really asking those nitty gritty questions that are so important to say, how do you take feedback? Mm-hmm. Because as mentors, a pit that we can fall into, or at least a trap we can fall into, is giving advice in the same way that we want to receive it. And it's not, usually it's not the case, like that's not how our mentee needs it. It typically works out best if you align well with your mentee, but more often than not, with the number of mentees that you end up having, 
not everybody likes to take advice the same way that you would. So being able to sit down and say, all right, do you like to be approached away from the group? Do you not care? Do you want me to be a little bit more gentle or do you just want me to smack you across the face with the information? Like all of those things are very important to really outline in your, if it's like a clinical mentor mentee type of relationship. And I think it's just really important that like highlighting that out of your story, because that's not something that a lot of people do as a mentee when they're looking for a mentor. And then like down the road, they're like, oh, they weren't a great mentor. Well, Part of that could be yes. they weren't great about being the mentor side, but a lot of the ownership also comes down to you as the mentee to say, hey, let's talk about these things. Let's open up the conversation. So that's what I would I would add. And for our listeners, because most of them are veterinary students or new grads, like learning from those experiences of mentorship that's gone well and mentorship that maybe hasn't gone as well so that they can build that relationship as best for their own self. But what else would you add to that? Yeah, definitely. I would say just set expectations for your mentor with what you're wanting to gain, you know, out of the relationship. Definitely when my mentor, I basically told her, you know, I wanted to improve surgical skills and efficiency were my two biggest things. Like, I don't want to be the one that for a routine spay, I'm in there for three hours for every single spay, you know, is definitely, you know, especially if there's no complications going on, I want to be as efficient as she is, you know, in and out within a good 30, 45 minutes overall. And I want to be the one who doesn't shy away from, you know, surgeries just for general, that a general practitioner should be able to do. If something that comes in, I want to be the one to be like, hey, you know, I don't mind doing it. I'll definitely take it. Which in the beginning during my internship, it was, (laughs) I pushed away so much because I was just so nervous. And she's like, Eccles, come on, you got (laughs) to... You got to do it. You're going to have to learn it. You can't just <laughs> Get push in there. everything away. And so <laughs> gradually, it started picking up. Uh, I would push away so many dentals with extractions. If it was a routine dental, I was fine with taking it. But any extraction, I ran from it. Any pyometra, I ran from it. Any, <laughs> anything abnormal, I ran from it. Mass removals, and I love dermatology. I would run from them. And so at this year in my life, as being an associate and still having her, you know, still there, she still, you know, helps and guides me on things. You know, I started to pick up, you know, a whole lot more, you know, and stop pushing things away, stepping out of my comfort zone. You know, if I have questions and she's there, she's more than happy to come and help me. But I feel way more confident at this point, definitely with her guidance and, you know, that relationship that we have than I definitely felt during my internship at all. (laughs) It's like the consistency over time is what builds the trust and and builds the experience. And it's really, it's so cool to see how this has happened in in different veterinarians' lives and who it was that offered that mentorship to them and, and made them who they are today. Granted, a lot of that is your own work. Like you have to actually put the work in. They can open the doors or put you at the front of the doors, but it's up to you to walk through it. After all of those different experiences and having awesome mentors and and through your life, like how would you say that shaped who you are as a mentor now? Or would you consider yourself yeah, definitely a mentor? Shaped me. Yeah, I definitely consider myself a mentor. I don't have one for this class <laughs> for this year that's in there because we are a teaching hospital. So we take interns in each year too. So I definitely consider myself one and just trying to maintain, you know, the composure, especially through my GP side, 
because I don't deal with any emergency aspect of the hospital. I feel the most thing that I'm the most proficient in and the most caring in is my client communication. I feel that's one of my strongest suits. So I try to, when some of the interns, they do, even though I don't have one, come and ask, you know, how would they relay this to certain clients and things like that? You know, I, you know, try to, you know, show them, you know, what I would say in the room or in the exam room, you know, just to give them some guidance. Cause a lot of them, they did come in when COVID was occurring. So mostly everything was still curbside at that point. And so now we're at the point we're letting clients back into the building. And so it's a whole new aspect open for them, which me, you know, I've been dealing with client communication, you know, my whole, really my whole life. I was an assistant for seven and a half years. The doctor really never relayed much information when I was an assistant. I really relayed all that to the clients. So it's a lot easier for me, you know, to say, hey, you know, this is something simple when to them, they never had the experience. And so it's a little bit more eye-opening for me to give them guidance to help them through that aspect Mm -hmm. overall. What would you say is the biggest thing you've learned through the process of mentoring students or interns? The biggest thing I can say I've learned is patience. (laughs) Patience, I feel like it's pretty critical. It's key. Even with my mentor, patience. And, you know, there's things where it's like, okay, Echoes, I know I've We've talked about this three, four times. So um, I thought, you know, you would have it by now at this point. But definitely repetition, it, it definitely helps out a lot. But definitely I feel like patience is the biggest thing because nobody's going to learn off the first try. Nobody's typically going to have everything down by the second. But that's the biggest thing that I've learned, you know, as an associate, as an intern, and as a, you know, a mentee, that definitely patience is one thing that's just going to take you know, time and effort putting forth with them just to help them grow. You want them to feel the same that you did when you were a mentee, and you just want them to have that same success that you come out with after your year as an intern. It is so cool to see how, like, us as individuals, you grow when you become a mentor or consider yourself a mentor, because so much of it is like the excitement of, oh, I have a mentee, I can teach, I can help them be inspired the way I wanted to be inspired. But then after a little bit of time, you're kind of like, wait a minute, I'm the one who's also learning something here. Like I'm learning something about myself. And sometimes it's uh, somewhat negative things. You're like, Ooh, I didn't know I did that. I didn't know I said things that way, but it it makes you a better veterinarian. It makes you a better person. So that's why I always try to encourage people. Like, even if you don't think you're going to be a good mentor, try it at least because you'll learn so much about yourself and and how you can be a better person and a better veterinarian. But this is like, I just love hearing people's stories. So I just really appreciate you coming on here and sharing your story from literally high school. I learned you, you do hip hop, like that's so cool. Um, And then just your pathway of being an assistant, the struggle of the VM cast. Like I still feel that anxiety (laughs) of you telling that story. I was like, Oh my gosh. Like I just feel that in the pit of my stomach, that kind of, And uh, just like the the progression of going through vet school and an internship, which I know we didn't have enough time to fully delve into, but landing on this aspect of mentorship. And I know you're doing some work with Vets on the Rise and and also through your social media, but I just want to, I want to create a little bit of space here. And since we're at the end of the episode to tell people a little bit about where they can find you, because we know you have a a pretty decent sized social media (laughs) following, you know, just being modest there. Yes, so definitely on my Instagram, Dr. Eccles is the main one that's 
I guess, popping the most <laughs> that's going on. My TikTok, uh, same hashtag, uh, well, at symbol for same as my Instagram with Dr. Eccles. And I am on Facebook for Greg Eccles. And then I do have my fitness page because I do competitive bodybuilding as well as competitive powerlifting for short, black, and awkward is hashtag. That is an for, awesome um, profile name, by the way. <laughs> Oh, oh my gosh. Those are all before that. <laughs> Wonderful. And all of those will be in the show notes for you guys. And I, I encourage you to go on there, go and bug Greg, like go and tell him, go say hi. Um, I, I'm sure, I assume you probably get like tons of DMs like every single day and you have to mill through them all. Yes. But I, we're going to spend yes. a little bit more time in the bonus content going through your social media side of things. But I want to say once again, okay. thank you so much for coming on That Bet Life um, yes. here on the show and talking about your mentorship story because. It is so freaking cool. Every single person that I talk to, and I'm sure some people are like, man, you really like mentorship. Are you okay? But it is, it honestly is so cool. And the deeper that you go into it, the more that you learn about yourself and how this profession can be so awesome, quite honestly. It's something that we haven't exactly. focused on enough. And I, I love to see that it's growing and people are talking about it more. So I will shut up about it right now. But I invite you guys to go and uh, join us over on the Thrive community to pick up the bonus content episode that is about to drop. But once again, Greg, thank you so much. And until next time, y'all. See you. And that's a wrap on today's episode of That Vet Life Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Now, before you go, I have a quick request. Now, podcasts and communities, they grow the best and they grow the biggest when the members spread the word. So if you know someone who you think needs to hear this episode, or if you found value in this episode and want to share it, go ahead and share this with your friends. And also don't forget to head over to vedexinternational.com and enroll in the VEDEX community for free to get access to a bonus version of this show. You'll also get some free swag and many, many other amazing benefits. Also leaving a review of the show on iTunes would be greatly appreciated because again, it just helps get the word out. But until next time, y'all, I hope you enjoyed this episode of That Fat Life.